Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning and welcome to Old Providence Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church. As everybody's in here now, if you do not have a bulletin, you do need one. So if you didn't pick one up, grab one because the uh, words, the lyrics to everything that we're singing today is in there, as well as the Lord's Creed and Apostles' Prayer and also our, uh, our text. So if you don't have one, grab one. What was that? I missed something. Something good. Oh, yeah, the Lord's Creed and the Apostles' Prayer. Sorry about that. It's one of those mornings. We're running around. One of these days, I'll get used to being in two services and one of them being in here, and probably that will be like the week before we're back in there. But that's okay. We'll, uh, we'll get through together. Speaking of that, thank you so much for your patience in, uh, in, in being here in Divided Services. And thank you for your, your patience last week. Um, as we, we, we had the longer uh, congregational meeting between worship services, um, thank you for, uh, for your flexibility too. Now, uh, what a joy it is to be here today. I, I hope that, that the Lord has filled your heart with gratitude as he has brought you to this place. And, and as we come together, let me just invite everybody to, to, to this time of worship. Let me welcome you, whether you're brand new, maybe you're a visitor. Um, it really is a blessing to have this time. Now, as we begin, let me point you to your bulletin. Lots and lots of things going on. Um, things like Little Lamb's event today at 3 o'clock. If you have questions, please see my wife. She's around here somewhere. I think she's in the nursery today, actually. But if you have questions, see her. Also, we're back to our regular routine of Tuesday night, home Bible study at 7. Wednesday prayer meeting, 645. Daily devotionals, Monday through Thursday. Those are available all day on Facebook or through Sermon Audio. Um, and, and they start at 6 a.m., though. That's when they post. Um, let's see, other things. Youth group tonight at 5.30 and other things I haven't mentioned. One I do want to mention is Sunday school, okay? Immediately following this worship service. If you don't normally attend, now is a very good time to start. So please do see me if you have any questions. Um, also, something that's new in our bulletin today, you'll see a moment for missions that's in there, and, and Pat was going to talk about that, but they're still meeting. So be aware of that moment for missions. Now, there are other things going on, but I'm going to let you find those. As we pray today, and as you are praying, continue to pray for Ken Stone. Maybe you got the one call. That's Pat Yowell's uncle. He came through surgery, which is miraculous, but he has a long way to go. And Pat and Woody very much appreciate your prayers. Again, I welcome you. It's the Lord that has brought us all here together. So let's prepare our hearts for worship as Donna leads us in the prelude. As I've already alluded to in the announcements, I hope that your heart is full of gratitude as you come before the Lord today, recognizing all that he's done. We talked about this psalm on Wednesday night, if you were here, but our call to worship this morning comes from Psalm 8, in which we read, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. From the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise because of your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. And then the psalmist has this moment of reflection. He says, when I consider your heavens, 
the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place. What is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him. You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet. All flocks and herds and the beasts of the field, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And my friends, this points to two things. First, it points to the reality that the Lord has created mankind at the pinnacle of creation, created in his image. It points to his value of us. But, of course, when we hear that term, the Son of Man, it ought to point us to Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, who came and made his dwelling among us in order to suffer and die for the sins of his people. These are just another few reasons that we should come with grateful hearts, recognizing what God has done and how he has blessed us. But as we come into worship, let these things be at the forefront of your thought, including when we sing. Please take your inserts and look at me with number 213, or at number 213, as we begin by singing, Crown Him with Many Crowns. Please stand with me as we sing.
Amen. Please be seated. And as you're seated, let's take this time to go to our Lord in prayer, after which we will pray the Lord's Prayer and then confess the Apostles' Creed together, both of which are right in there. But let's go to him now. Our Father, it is our desire to do what we have just lifted up. It's our desire to praise Jesus Christ, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who is seated on high and yet is our brother. And with he as our brother and you as our father, we are heirs to this kingdom, your kingdom. The same kingdom that we will pray in just a moment, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Father, as we consider life and its different facets, we know that it is this time of worship. We're commanded to live lives of worship indeed, but it is this time of worship in particular that you use to impart grace to us, to prepare us for that kingdom with you forever. So please, as we take part in this worship service now, we know it reflects that heavenly worship service around your throne. So let our worship be pleasing to you. Let it glorify your name. We pray these things in Christ's name, and we also pray as he taught us to pray by saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And now as we say the Apostles' Creed together, let me ask you, Christian, what is it that you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Christian church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen indeed. And now, as we continue in our worship, let's take our insert. As we sing Bible song number 142, Supplication and Testimony. It's the, it's the 69th Psalm, but it's to a tune that I, I hope that you will know, Abide With Me. So please stand with me as we sing together.
You may be seated, and at this time, children are dismissed for Children's Church right over this away. And as they are being dismissed, let's take this time to go to our Lord in silent prayer, and then I will lead us in the pastoral prayer. But let's go to our Lord now. Eternal God and Heavenly Father, in light of how we began in the 8th Psalm and in light of what we have just lifted up in the 69th Psalm, we are reminded of who you are and who we are, that you are indeed the Almighty God seated on high, that nothing is beyond your sight, you never slumber nor sleep, nothing is beyond your power your dominion, your rule. And at the same time, you are our creator and you are our father. We know from the eighth Psalm that you created us in your image and you have placed intrinsic value on all people, but we are your beloved, the ones that you have called to yourself the one that your son and our Savior has called his bride, his bride that he is perfecting until that day, that day of the Lord when every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And yet also, as our Father, as we've just lifted up from the 69th Psalm, we know that you help those who are in need that you do not despise those that are in distress, much the opposite, you bid us come, come to you with those things that we need, but also those things that we want, trusting that you not only give us things, but that you love to give us good gifts. You love to forgive, for you are merciful and gracious. The evil one would attack us now, Father, and convince us that our sins are too great, that we have no footing to come to you, that we've done too much, and how dare we? And yet we know that you never despise a penitent heart. A contrite heart is what you desire, a heart that recognizes sin and comes to you for forgiveness and restoration. And so we do that now, Father asking for forgiveness for those things that we've done that we shouldn't and also for those things that we should have done that we didn't. We praise you that despite our sin, there is forgiveness in Christ alone and that today is a new day. And if you give it to us, tomorrow is a new day with new opportunities to serve you. Work in our hearts that we would seize these opportunities. And as we face challenges to them, we pray that you would be at work in those situations as well. If it's physical challenges, health-related, please bring healing and, again, restoration. 
If it's emotional challenges, please bring joy and encouragement. If it's spiritual challenges, please bring strength. And if necessary in your mercy, please bring correction so that we would seek your faith and face and pursue right relationship with you. Father, we praise you that you know, that you know, not only who we are and what we do, you know what we need better than we do. So please provide it for our sake, yes, but even more so for the sake of your kingdom as we do what you've called us to do. As we seek to be the salt and the light of the world, as we seek to represent Jesus Christ and point others to his majesty, his love. Oh, Father, may they see it in our love. Our love for you first. Our love for one another as the followers of Christ. And our love for all those that we encounter. We pray this for not only ourselves here at Old Providence, but for your church universal. And we pray that you would continue to be at work in the world around us, knowing that you are. Again, Father, give us grateful hearts in light of all of these things. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.
Thank you very much, choir. I hope that you all listen to the lyrics that the choir lifts up. Uh, you pulled a switch on me. I thought this was going to be immortal, invisible, God only wise. Maybe you recognize that tune as well. But both point to the reality of the refrain of, of that anthem that the Lord will provide no matter what happens, no matter what we face. What a wonderful reminder. So thank you, choir. Well, my friends, after starting our time in Philippians all the way back, I had to look, all the way back on September the 8th, we finally find ourselves today at the end of this incredible little book of God's Word. Think about all that we've seen thus far as we've gone through Philippians. Everything from, from grand proclamations about the day of the Lord. I brought this up a few moments ago when, when all time ends and, and at the same time when all time finally begins, when eternity begins, when, when the kingdom of God comes in all of its fullness. And, and as Philippians 2 says, when every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's what we saw in Philippians 2, 10 and 11. We saw that to other things like, like extremely practical pieces of wisdom and commands on how you and I as the followers of Christ are to live. Commands and warnings even. Remember chapter 3 we talked about those dogs, those, those evil doers, those false teachers who would destroy and deceive the church by either, either adding to God's word or taking away from God's word. And really, it doesn't matter which one it is. They're, they're both the same, both question the validity of God's word. That, that's what false teachers do. We, we dealt with that in chapter 3. And, and certainly, we've seen so much more besides, as Paul wrote the church of Philippi, in an overall sense, to encourage them to be faithful to the Lord and to encourage them to love one another. And yet, while we're talking about Paul and the Philippians, we need to realize that this is at the same time God and his word breathing out his word through Paul. And God's word calls us to do the same that the Philippians are called to do. To seek right relationship with God, to love one another, to be faithful. But now today we come to the end. And what do we find? Of all the ways that Paul could end his letter to the church at Philippi, and of all the ways that God could end this portion of his word, how would he end it? I always find this to be a fascinating question as it relates to different books of the Bible, especially as it relates to the Apostle Paul and, and the groups that he writes that he dearly loves, that he's connected to. Remember how communication worked then? No email, right? No, no cell phones, no telegraphs. There were letters, obviously. The book of Philippians is a letter to the church at Philippi. But there were no quick forms of communication whatsoever. And also remember the circumstances that Paul faced. Throughout his ministry, yes, but certainly as he wrote the church in Philippi, Remember, he's in chains, as it were. He mentions that at the first, as we'll see today reflected in our passage. He talks about those in the household of Caesar. That means he's in chains. He's in prison for the sake of Christ. And in light of this, you know, as Paul closes this letter to this group of people that he dearly loves, he suspects that he'll have further communication with them. He says that he wants to go and see them. But as far as Paul knows, this is it. This may be the last thing they ever hear from him. Put yourself in his shoes. 
or sandals, I guess would be more appropriate. But if, if you're finishing up a letter to people that you love, and it may in fact be the last communication they ever received from you, what would you say? Now, let's, let's take it up a notch because realize this is the Apostle Paul, right? He is writing from a position of authority. What advice would you give to people that are counting on you, people that look to you for advice? What, what directions, what commands? What would you point to as you finish things up that is of primary importance? Well, as it relates to the Philippians, today we find out, and we find out in the last chapter of Philippians, Philippians chapter 4, so if you don't have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there with me. Or if you do have your Bibles, turn there. If you don't, grab the insert because it is in there. But we're picking up in Philippians chapter 4 where we left off. If you were here last week, then you'll know that last week we saw the secret to contentment. Namely, that being content only comes from realizing your helplessness alone. But that in Christ you can do all things through, strengthens, uh, through him who strengthens you. And our main focus last week was verses 12 and 13, and, and, and we talked about those things. But there's interesting verses surrounding it that talk about, that's uh, really Paul addressing the Philippians, talking about their support. And I said that we'd come back to that this week, and, and indeed that we are. That those interesting verses about what the Philippians had done to support him. And, and again, we shall, because it's in this context of the Philippians supporting Paul that we find the ending to the book of Philippians, but also the last instructions he offers to them and the last lessons um, Philippians offer to us today, right now. I'm going to warn you at first glance, this looks like a communication from one man to a group of people in time and space that it's just about Paul and them, but this is the word of God for God's people. It is timeless, and there's very real application for you and me today, right now. Now, we're going to start reading in verse 15, but before we read anything, let's stop and go to our Lord in prayer because we need it. Let's go. Our Father, we praise you for your word that we have things like letters, um, which are books of your Bible, your holy word. Um, and at first glance, they may seem like simple communication, but the principles revealed therein are so powerful, so important. Lord, please don't let us miss them. Instead, seeing your word, recognizing your word, let us live in light of it. Please, guide us now by your Holy Spirit. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. So Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 15. Hear now the word of the Lord. It says, And you Philippians know that in the early days of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you alone. For even in Thessalonica you sent gifts for my need several times. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the profit that is increasing to your account. But I have received everything in full, and I have an abundance. I am fully supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you provided, a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me send you greetings. All the saints send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Thus ends the book of Philippians. May God bless the reading of his holy 
inerrant and infallible word. Amen and amen. Now, I've made several allusions to the gravity of this situation that, that as far as Paul knows, this may very well be the last communication he ever sends to the church in Philippi. Well, we know in terms of the biblical canon, books of the Bible, this, this is. Not that he doesn't have further communication with them, but in terms of God's word, it's the last. It's these people that, that he has great affection for and who at the same time, they have great affection for Paul. And of all the ways that he could end his letter to them, and looking broader, I'll ask again, of all the ways that God could end this portion of his word, what do we find here? I alluded to this earlier, we, we need to be careful with what we find because if you just look at the surface level, okay, it just looks sort of like Paul is ending with a thank you note. Some have gone so far as to say this is some sort of receipt where, where, where these people reduce it to Paul just informing the Philippians, yeah, 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 I, I got what you sent me. And y'all, I'm not trying to, to cast shade on expressing gratitude. That's very important. But, but what we find here is so much more important than a mere thank you note. So please understand that is part of what Paul is doing. He is expressing his gratitude without a doubt. But what we find here is so much deeper than mere gratitude. In fact, I want to suggest to you that there are four major principles that are revealed right here at the end of Philippians 4. And all of them have to do with one thing. And that one thing is investing in the kingdom of God. Investing in the kingdom of God and, 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 and who you and I are supposed to be in line in the kingdom. Today, right now, what, what we're supposed to do is revealed in these four principles. But I'm not going to start with the four principles. Instead, we need to go back further. Back to that phrase about investing in the kingdom of God. And there's many places we could turn to in God's word that tell us about investing in the kingdom, but it just so happens it's the words of our Lord himself that I think are so powerful here, um, powerful. Matthew chapter 6, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there with me. Why start in Matthew chapter 6 in Jesus' own words? Y'all, because what we're about to read from Jesus in Matthew 6 is a truth. It's a, it's a reality that unless you see this, okay, unless you believe it, there's no point in even talking about investing in God's kingdom otherwise unless you start at the start with what Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 6. So what did Jesus have to say on this subject of investing in the kingdom? Matthew chapter 6, we're going to start reading in verse 19. And it's a passage that I have no doubt is going to be familiar to many of you. Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 19, our Lord said, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. And then Jesus makes this statement that is much more than about moths and rust. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. A teaching and a warning specifically related to how you invest. Again, don't lay up for yourself treasures on earth where things fall apart. Instead, invest in heaven. Now, this passage alone deserves an entire series of sermons, but for the sake of time, consider what he said here. These are the words of Jesus. He, 
He's pointed us to a reality that if you miss this, the rest doesn't matter. I don't want you to go ahead and go, but if you're going to miss this, anyway. The reality that he points us to is that investment in this life and this world is ultimately worthless. Why? Y'all, because this life is a glimmer. You realize even the best things of this world, the best things that the world has to offer, they all have an expiration date for you. At least two expiration dates, really three expiration dates, right? Things in this life, I don't know if you recognize this or realize this. I didn't used to. The Lord has shown me this. Things in this life expire when either one of the things Jesus talked about happens, right? First, things in this life expire when moth or rust destroy it. Jesus is using that terminology to point to the reality of decay. The things in this life do not last, okay? I was... I was someplace this week. You ever seen the Meekum Auto Auction before? It's, they have the old classic cars that roll through. Well, they have a portion of it, and I've never seen this portion of it, where they just bring in old beaters, right? You know, oh, this is a barn find, and it's covered in rust, but they'll bring in a car. The front end's all bashed up. And, and they, it's fascinating because it's opportunities for somebody to buy that car that's basically trashed. It doesn't run. It's falling apart. They buy it for the purpose of restoring it, but they get a cheap price. But earlier in the auction, they have the restored cars, or even more importantly, they have the original cars. But y'all, these are the same cars. The, the 1969 Mustang that went for $80,000 just a few moments ago in the auction, well, the beat-up one goes for $10,000. But doesn't it illustrate the point that decay is a real thing? The fact is, is that material things in this life just wear out over time. Or even if it's something of incredible craftsmanship and it doesn't wear out. If it doesn't wear out for you, and this is the second principle of expiration, if things don't wear out for you, guess what? You will wear out for them. That's right, the second expiration date for all the things of this world is your expiration date, right? It's when you expire, when you die. The, the old adage about never seeing U-Hauls behind a hearse is true, y'all. I've done a lot of funerals. I've never seen one behind the hearse. Somebody actually sent me a picture of one, which was fascinating one time. But aside from that, as a general rule, uh, and really I'm joking here, but nobody takes anything with them. And then the third and ultimate expiration date is what we've already heard from Philippians 2, the day of the Lord. Now, that one hasn't happened yet, but it's coming. That's that day when Jesus comes back and he makes all things new. And the things of the earth, the things of this life, pass away. And the kingdom comes in all of its fullness. And in light of these expirations, Jesus said in Matthew 6, and I'm paraphrasing, but Jesus gave us the command to invest not in the things of this world, not in this life, but to invest in eternity where there is no corruption where there is no expiration. Now, how do we do this? That's what brings us back to Philippians chapter 4 and the four principles revealed therein. The first principle, <clears throat> excuse me, revealed is at the end of Philippians 4, um, and it's when you invest in God's kingdom. Here it is, principle number one. When you invest in God's kingdom, you share in God's kingdom. I'll say that again. When you invest in God's kingdom, you share in God's kingdom. And no, this is not just talking about being saved. Now, certainly, that is the first requirement to investing in the kingdom. That should go without saying, though, because remember, Paul is writing the church here. 
Okay, he's writing a group of people that claim to be followers of Christ. So going with that understanding, in light of them being saved, Paul reminds them that they are investing in the kingdom, and in so doing, they are storing up for themselves treasures in heaven by sharing in the kingdom. How does that work? Well, we already read it. Look at verses 15 and 16 again. Paul wrote, And you Philippians know that in the early days of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent gifts for my needs several times. Now when you take these verses and you combine them with the verses that we read last week about Paul rejoicing about their support of his ministry, they serve as a reminder to the Philippians Paul's saying to them, you're not on the sidelines by supporting my ministry. Paul reminded them that they weren't outsiders supporting him. No, I'll say it again. The first powerful principle revealed here is that when you invest in the kingdom, you share in it. Paul said, through what you've done, you have shared, you have taken part in my ministry. And so in the context of ministry, and listen, y'all, this is important. When you support a ministry, you share in that ministry. There's a reason why we keep talking about supporting missions. And and Pat will do the Minute for Missions next week. That's okay. We'll, We'll get to that next week. But we keep talking about supporting missions. There's a reason why we ask you to commit your treasures to the advancement of the gospel around the world. But also, there's a reason why we collect tithes and offerings here at Old Providence. And y'all... You know I've been here seven years. I've never preached a sermon here on tithes and offerings. I've never preached a sermon on tithing in my entire 22 years of ministry because I've never been in a passage that would require me to to, to, to preach a message that specifically focuses on tithing. And this isn't one either, but the fact remains that giving to a ministry makes you a part of that ministry. And I say this because of what Paul said to the Philippians, that they shared in his ministry through their support of gifts. But the larger context is that investing in the kingdom of God means sharing in the kingdom of God. But here's the thing. This is another reason this isn't a sermon on tithes and offerings. This subject of investing in the kingdom is not just about money. Absolutely not. And this leads to the second major principle revealed in Philippians 4 about investing in the kingdom of God, storing up for yourselves treasures in heaven. The first principle is that investing in the kingdom is sharing in the kingdom. The second is that investing in the kingdom, like supporting ministry, investing in the kingdom takes various forms. That's the second principle. It's not just about money. The almighty check with money is a part of it, but there's so much more than money to investing in the kingdom. We know this because Paul, back a couple of chapters ago in chapter 2, he talked all about this fellow that we see again in chapter 4, Epaphroditus, this servant who was sent to help him. And in what we've read today, he spoke with such gratitude of what was provided to him by receiving that support. And yet there are other ways to invest in the kingdom that aren't about money also. How, How so? Well, y'all, it comes down to what I call the three T's. It's the three T's for investing in the kingdom. You can invest in the kingdom. You can store up treasures for yourself in heaven through your treasure, through how you spend your money. Yes, there's no doubt about it. Jesus himself, right? The number one subject Jesus talked about, anybody know what it is? Number one thing Jesus talked about was the kingdom of God. The number two thing Jesus talked about was hell. 
Because you can't talk about heaven if you don't talk about hell. But the number three thing that Jesus talked about was money. Close behind it. But money, treasure, is the last of the three T's to invest. The first two are time and talent. The three T's of investment are time, talent, and treasure. And sometimes we forget about the time and the talent. You know, one of the biggest lies we tell ourselves, one of the biggest mistakes we make is convincing ourselves that things belong to us that aren't really ours. And we do this almost more than anything else with the three T's, with our time, with our talent, and our, and our treasure. And I just did it there, our Namely, that it's my time, it's my talent, it's my treasure. And let me tell you, nothing that you have comes from you alone. Not your time, not your talent, not your treasures. They are all God's gifts to you. And he expects you to use them for his glory. And as we've read, Jesus expects you to invest these in the kingdom, thus storing up treasures for yourself. Take the first one, time. How do you spend your time? Your time that isn't really yours at all. That is answered in your priorities, and I say that with a heavy heart as one who often does not have the right ones. The next T, your talent. What do you give the Lord of your abilities? Your abilities, your talent that wouldn't be yours at all without the Lord. Does God get your first or your seconds? Does he get the scraps of whatever's left over if there's anything left over at all? I ask this because some people make the mistake of reducing the support of ministry and investing in heaven to a matter of money. Money comes last. Let me tell you something. God doesn't need your money. He's got plenty. What he needs is your heart, your love, your gratitude, because money, your time, your talent, and your treasure, they all flow out of these things. What he needs is for you to live for the purpose that you are saved. And that means investing your time, your talent, and your treasures. 2 Corinthians 9, 6, and 7, the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one of us must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God calls you to live for him, to invest your time and your talent and your treasures. That's what God needs from you. And as a side note, that's what old providence needs too. That's, it's awkward because I are one, but that's what ministers need. You know, I talked about people mistaking investing in heaven for being all about money. Some people make another mistake that's very similar. 1 Timothy 5.8, Paul's writing to Timothy, and he talks about how pastors should be supported, right? He goes back to Deuteronomy 25, 25 and, he, and, he, and he cites not muzzling the ox while it treads out the grain. You know, let the animal eat while it works, right? And churches make a gigantic mistake, and, and I said this at an ordination service not too long ago, but churches make a gigantic mistake when they think that this is just talking about paying the pastor, that this is just about money. That, that's part of it. But muzzling the ox also involves your willingness to serve God with your time and your talent. Serving alongside others keeps the pastor from not only being the muzzled ox, but serving the Lord, committing to the Lord, keeps the pastor from feeling like a rented mule. Give of your time, your talent, and your treasure. 
devote these to the Lord. And when you do this, that's when principle three comes into effect, and it's this. You ready? Principle three. When you invest in the kingdom, when you devote your time, talent, and treasure to the Lord, guess what? You are blessed. Principle three is that when you bless God, you are blessed. Now let me just stop you right now. If you, this is not about paying to play. This is not about me becoming a televangelist all of a sudden. I don't have a sequin sport coat. Not anymore, Amanda. Thanks for making me throw that away. But nevertheless, <laughs> obviously I'm having a little fun here. Right? But really and truly, all this is not about you know, pay to play and if... You know, if, if you want to be blessed, you've got to bless it. No, that's not this. But in reality, it is, it is a truth. When you bless the Lord, the Lord blesses you. And this is not just about money. Hence the title of today's sermon. Hence what Paul said in two different places that we read. The second is seen in, in what Paul wrote about Epaphroditus and sending him. Along with their support that, that verses 18 and 19, Paul said, But I have received everything in full, and I have an abundance. I am fully supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you provided. A fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God, and my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Y'all, this is not about this idea of when you bless God, you're blessed. This isn't about earning God's favor. This is not about buying his blessings. This is about offering to the Lord out of gratitude. What Paul has just said here is that the Lord provides for you out of his riches. And so in turn, we ought to provide for him out of our riches. And it's not just about money. It's about the simple fact that God blesses those who bless him. Because investing in the kingdom, taking part in ministry, oh, as a minister, it's hard, but it is the most profound blessing of all. And sometimes that blessing is suffering. Sometimes it's the opportunity to suffer and do more ministry, but it all goes to storing up treasures for yourself in heaven. And we also see this principle in the title of today's sermon. Did you catch what Paul said in verse 17? When talking about the gifts that they've given, and not just money, but the gifts, sending Epaphroditus, he said, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the profit that is increasing to your account. Paul accepts these gifts lovingly because these people, the Philippians, are being a blessing to God, and he knows it goes to their account for God blessing them. It's a metaphorical image that he uses here, but realize the crux of the matter, the real motivation for all of this. Paul isn't talking about how to be saved. He's not talking about how to work your way into God's favor or get on God's good side. No, Paul is talking about what saved people ought to do. Not because you're compelled to invest in the kingdom, not because you fear judgment, you devote your time and your talent to the Lord, not because you've got to, but because you get to. Because you want to invest in the kingdom because the kingdom is what really matters. You want to share in it, both its work and its blessings. But ultimately, and this is the fourth principle, 
It's investing because God is invested in you. Glorify him. That's principle number four. God is invested in you. Glorify him. Y'all, the chief motivation for all that we do should be recognizing what God has done and glorifying him for it. Hence verses 19 and 20. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. I ask this all the time and I'll ask it now again. Do you realize what Jesus Christ has done for you? What God does for you? I know the answer. The answer is no because I don't realize it either. But do you take the time? Do you really dwell on the goodness of God? Do you do what we talked about a few weeks ago instead of dwelling on things below? Do you dwell on that which is pure, that which is true, that, that which is lovely? If you don't know Jesus, receive the free offer of the gospel today. Turn to him and save you, and he'll save you if you'll turn to him. But, but if you've done this, do you take the time to consider what he's done? And do you take the time to consider why you do what you do? Your chief motivation, what you do with your time, your talent, and your treasure. Our chief motivation is all providence, yes, but as the church of Jesus Christ should be the glory of God. He has invested in you. He has invested in old providence for 280 some odd years. Our chief goal should be investing in the kingdom. After this, Paul closes by offering greetings. He, he references Caesar's household, again pointing to the fact that he writes in chains. But the whole point of it is God's glory. And of all the ways he could end, of all the things that he could say that may be, in fact, his final greetings to the Philippians, doesn't this ending make sense? Paul, who himself has stored up treasure, so much so that he's in chains for the Lord, of all the things he could tell them, he tells them they need to store up treasures for themselves as well. To invest in what matters, to invest in the kingdom. And so God's word calls you and me to do the same today. Let's pray. Our God and our Father, we thank you for the opportunities that you have given. And we seek forgiveness for the opportunities that we have missed to invest in your kingdom with our time, with our talent, and with our treasure. In light of your goodness, your love, your mercy, salvation, eternal, all the gifts that we see and the gifts that we don't have the good sense to recognize. In light of these things, work in our hearts that we would seek your face, that we would trust you, we would invest in what matters, and that glorifying you would be our ultimate goal. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Now as we close together, let's sing of Christ the solid rock, number 368, as we consider God's gift to us. Let's stand as we sing, the last and the answer.
And indeed it is. Invest in the kingdom of God. I will close this morning with the benediction that we find at the end of Philippians, the very last verse. It is short and it is appropriate. And it says, May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen.